Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name. Y'all can go ahead and turn to Matthew 6 if you'd like. Probably were expecting that. So I'll try not to disappoint you. I'd like to continue, or may I should say conclude, looking at the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to cover a few more verses than just one today. Go ahead and read Matthew 6, 11 through 13. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you forgive men their trespasses... I said through 13, we're going to go through 15. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. At this point in the Lord's Prayer, we have a shift towards looking at ourselves, looking at our own needs. The first two verses of the prayer, we are addressing God. And yes, while we're addressing God, it does affect us and how we view God and how we, we relate to God. But here we, we shift to praying for our needs, provisions for life, forgiveness, deliverance from evil. If you think about it, Those are the three things we need. We need provision for life. We need our daily food, our daily sustenance to live physically. But also as we live this life, we have an ongoing need for forgiveness. We have an ongoing need for God's forgiveness. And we also have an ongoing need to forgive others. Because as we live in this life, It's inevitable that we are going to face offenses. We also, for our spiritual lives, face an ongoing need to be delivered from evil if we're going to live victoriously. So, We could say that this part of the prayer embodies everything that we need to live successfully, physically and spiritually, kind of boiled down. I also want to point out, and I think I've stated this before, but this prayer has, and it it comes out in these verses, this prayer has no personal pronouns. It does not mention me or I or myself, but rather it's, us. And I think that serves to remind us that the Christian life is a life of surrender of self. It's a life of surrender to me, uh, of my will. And opening up ourselves to the realization of the needs of others and the good of the entire body of Christ. 
The body of Christ is made up of many members. And we should have the good of our fellow members in the body of Christ in mind. We read in the book of Acts of the early church where they had all things in common. Talks about where there was needs and they were selling properties and that type of thing to supply the needs of the body. They were working for the common good, not for the individual good. And I think there's a lesson, a lesson that Christ was trying to teach us in using the pronoun us or our, give, uh, give us this day our needs to remind us that it's broader than just my needs. So the first petition here is for our need for daily sustenance. Give us this day our daily bread. If we're going to survive physically, we have to have our daily bread, our daily food to eat. It's a universal need for everyone. And so we're asking God to supply that. But notice that this prayer is not just for today. It it is just for today. It's not a prayer for the week, the month, the year, our life, etc. But it's for today. Jesus addresses that idea again in Matthew 6. Uh, You can flip over to verses 25 and 26. He says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? In those verses, Jesus is is pointing out that God cares for his people. God supplies for his people, just like he does for the rest of his creation. And he's telling us that we, we don't need to worry. And I think that's why the Lord's Prayer says, Give us this day our daily bread. Today's all we really need. We have no promise of tomorrow. And when tomorrow comes, God is still there, ready to supply for our needs that day as well. So it's a prayer of trust, trusting God to supply our needs. So does that mean that we should just pray, give us this day our daily bread? and then sit back, wait for God to put it on the table in front of us. There may be instances where that's appropriate, but I don't believe that that's what we're called to do. But rather, we're called to work, to provide. In Genesis, after the fall of 
Adam and Eve into sin. God put them out of the Garden of Eden, and he instituted that man would work for his sustenance. Also, Paul instructed in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, he said, For even when we were with with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So I believe the scripture is clear that we play a part in this. We're called to strive, to work, to supply for our needs. But the real lesson is, is trust. Like we read there in Matthew six twenty five and 26, we're to trust and not worry, not fret. It's a prayer of recognition that, though, that even though I go to work to earn a living, to put food on the table, it's still a gift from God. The ability to work, the ability to have resources that we can buy our food, etc., it's all a gift from God. It's all a gift that could be taken away at any time. And so we need to pray it in faith and in trust. Recognizing that that gift is from God. It's not anything that I do on my part alone without God's blessing and help. Another important part of this petition is the fact that we're praying to give us, as I've already talked about, the plural pronoun, us. Bringing out the concern that we should have that is broader than ourselves. Think of how the prayer would sound if Jesus had said, we should pray, give me this day my daily bread. You know, that's, that's the world we live in, everybody looking out for themselves. But Jesus said, give us this day. I'd like to think a little bit about that, that concept of, of having a broader focus in our minds than just ourselves. In Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, Jesus tells us that if we ask, it will be given to us. Just turn back and read those verses since I'm close to it. He says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. There's other places that Jesus said that if we ask, we're going to receive. And it's something that people grapple with because we have this promise that if we ask in Jesus' name, we're going to receive. But then people ask, 
and they don't receive what they ask for. And so then they wonder, you know, well, why, why didn't I receive? God says in his word that, that I'll receive what I ask for. And I'd like to look at two references that I think give us some insight into that and help us to understand this concept of give us this day our daily bread. You can turn to John 14. For the first one, John 14, verse 13, Jesus said, Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Okay, so Jesus said, if we ask in his name, we'll receive. But notice why. He says that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That is the goal of Jesus giving us what we ask. Next, turn back to James chapter 4. James 4 verse 3. Ye ask and receive not, because, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. The, another version says that you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Another reason that prayers aren't answered, that requests that we make may not be given because we're asking with the wrong motive because we're asking for me. We want to consume it. It says we want to consume it or spend it for our lusts, our personal pleasures. In other words, it's about, it's not about us, but it's about me. But remember, there in John 14, that our requests are granted not for our glory, not for our personal pleasure, but they're granted for God's glory. So we're to pray, give us, because as Christians, we're not to have a self-centered focus. But rather, we should have the good of the body, the good of, of all of God's children in mind. And I believe that that concept of not being self-centered is something that the church needs to realize today in our society with the focus on the material things and the focus on self and the focus on pleasure. I'm concerned that the church is losing the vision of brotherhood, that, that concern for one another. 
because of the influence of society upon us. You know, it's pretty easy for us to pray, give me and give mine, help me, and forget our responsibility to our brothers and sisters. You know, I talked about that we pray for our daily bread, but yet we have a responsibility to work and supply. And you know, we do pretty good at that. But we also fail to remember in working to supply for our needs that the scripture also tells us that one of the main reasons for working is not just to supply for our own needs, but is to give so that we can give to others. Acts 20, verse 35 says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So right there, we're, we're called to labor to support the weak, remembering that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Also, Ephesians 4.28, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth so right there is a direct command that we are to work so that we can give to the person who has need maybe your work is the answer to somebody else's prayer when they pray give us this day our daily bread that person who can't physically work Maybe you're called to be God's agent in answering their prayer when they pray that. So let's remember that our sustenance physically comes from God, even though we're earning it, even though we're out working. And that it's not just for us. We need to have a broad view of God's, all of God's children, especially of the church. Moving on, the next phrase in verse 12 is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I already said forgiveness is something that we all need. We need forgiveness and we need to give forgiveness. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. We all have wronged God. We all need his forgiveness. No one is exempt from needing that. But these verses point out that God's forgiveness that we all need so dearly is closely linked with our willingness to forgive others. So we see if we, if we harbor any unforgiveness in our hearts when we pray this prayer, 
really we're asking God not to forgive us. Because it, it says, forgive us as we have forgiven others. This is a, something that we should each take very seriously. It's such a serious matter that Jesus again repeated it right after the prayer there in uh, verses 14 and 15, which uh, we'll talk about that just a little bit further later. But this connection between the forgiveness of others and the forgiveness of God is very important for us to grasp. And Jesus, I believe, in repeating it immediately after the prayer, is driving that point home. And it's also, we need to realize that Jesus made no exceptions. Jesus didn't say, you forgive others unless they've done such and such to you. It's just simply a blanket statement that if we want forgiveness of God, we must forgive as well. And we know, like I said, we need forgiveness. And we know that the eternal result, what the eternal result will be if we don't seek God's forgiveness. So this verse should cause us to see the need for us to strive for a forgiving attitude towards our fellow man, no matter what the offense. Also, we need to realize that our willingness to forgive our fellow man doesn't earn us forgiveness from God, but rather it opens the way that God can forgive. So it's not that we gain merit, so to speak, but it's simply, I guess I would call it, when we forgive, it takes away a roadblock that prevents God from forgiving us. It makes God's forgiveness possible. And you know, I'm sure that you all, since you all are on the same human flesh and blood as me, would testify that it is so easy to hold a grudge against someone who offends you. But there is no grudge worth holding that is worth losing our forgiveness from God over. Like I said, we'll talk about that a little further in verses 14 and 15. The next phrase of the prayer is, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I believe this is the cry of the heart of every believer. To be freed from temptation, to be freed from anything that could draw us away from God, that could destroy our relationship with him. Also here, it's deliver us from evil is a recognition of 
the continual presence of evil and the, the potential to be drawn away from God in that right relationship with him. I don't believe that it's, this is not to be taken as praying that, that God would not tempt us because we're told in James that God does not tempt us with evil. James says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But I think rather this is a prayer to be spared out of temptation, spared from strong temptation, spared from succumbing to temptation. I'd like to think about prayer in relation to temptation just a little bit. Jesus prayed, or excuse me, Jesus instructed his disciples when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest. He instructed them to pray so that they would not enter into temptation. Matthew 26, 41, he said, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus instructed his disciples there to pray that they would not enter into temptation. And I think it's important to recognize that I believe prayer is one of our, our first lines of defense against temptation. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and undoubtedly praying before he faced temptation of the devil before he began his ministry. When the temptation came, Jesus was prepared. Jesus was ready to meet Satan's temptation head on and defend himself and turn the devil away. Again, the illustration of Jesus in the garden before he was arrested. We have recorded how that Jesus prayed earnestly. He said so earnestly that he sweat drops of blood and just a short bunny trail that is physically possible from what I've read that a person under great tremendous stress that their capillaries actually can break down and they can ooze blood out through their skin so he was in such distress that he prayed he was praying earnestly because he knew what he was facing. He knew that it was essential that he remained faithful and that he completed the Father's will. And when they came to arrest him and took him off to run him through a sham trial, was he ready? Yeah, he was ready. He had fought the battle in prayer there in the garden, and he went forth ready to be victorious. It's been said that it's through prayer that we win the battle. We don't pray and then go out and fight the battle. Rather, we pray. And we wrestle with self and with surrender to the Lord. And then the battle's won. 
and we're ready to go out and face what comes. We've already made our choice to be victorious in our time of of prayer and seeking the Lord. So as we pray, deliver us from temptation, let's do our part. Let's not just pray, deliver us. Let's fight the battle with temptation. Let's go forth determined to be victorious. There's also another aspect of temptation. I believe it's right for us to pray, deliver us from temptation. But there's another aspect of temptation. In James 1, 2 through 4, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Here James says that we're to count it all joy when we face temptations or testing. Because... It's a means of spiritual growth. Do you ever think about the fact that when you face a temptation, you have, you have two choices. You can give in, or you can withstand, and you can come through victorious. And when you withstand and you come through victorious, you come out of that struggle a stronger Christian person. That's what he's talking about there in James. The trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. It's through that continual victory over temptation that we gain spiritual strength. And just a reminder that if we give in to temptation, it's because we're not availing ourselves of the power that God offers us to overcome. Because God has promised, 1 Corinthians 10.13, that there is no temptation that is taking you except which is common to man. But God is faithful and will not suffer you be tempted above that you're able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So let's pray for deliverance for temptation. Let's pray for victory in temptation. But let's pray for stamina to overcome. Let's pray for, for God's strengthening to overcome. So that when we do face trials and temptation, we can come through strengthened rather than torn down. Moving on then, in verse, the end of verse 13, he ends the prayer with, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. A recognition that everything is the Lord's and he is worthy of all our praise 
He is worthy of our lives, of our service, of everything that we can render to him. I was impressed with that thought this morning in Sunday school class. Brother Lee pointed out verse uh, Revelations 5.13, and I just wanted looked it up, and I wanted to read Revelations 5.11 through 13. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power. Be unto him that sitteth on the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. It echoes exactly there in Revelation. The ending, the, the doxology here in this prayer. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That recognition is what it takes for us to be fully committed to God. It's all his. He deserves all that we can offer him. Then I'd like to look a little more, verses 14 and 15, at this thing of forgiveness of others. I thought about covering it all earlier, but I just feel like that from my own experience, this is something that is so important for us to grasp. Do we really comprehend the fact that as it says here in verses 14 and 15, that if I harbor an unforgiving spirit, towards someone else that I cannot be forgiven by God. There's no way around it. That's what these verses say. But yet how prone I am to let something from the past that someone has done to me come up in my mind and dwell on that and let it destroy the peace that I can have with God. I think it's something that we probably all struggle with to a certain extent. And we justify it because that person has hurt me so badly. But like I said earlier, Jesus didn't make any exceptions for how bad it hurt. He just said forgive. And we fail to see that our unforgiving spirit is harming us keeping us from peace. It's not doing anything to correct the situation. It's not doing anything to harm the other person. Really, that's kind of what it's about in our, in, our, in our hearts. We kind of are wishing ill for that person that's, you know, he did this to me, and so I hope something bad happens to him. That's, that's our human nature. The story is told of a man who had a dream. 
And in his dream, he had a cage. And in that cage, he had a man who had wronged him. And he'd walk around that cage with a stick and reach in there through the bars and poke that guy. Walk around, poke, poke him again. And in the dream, the Lord spoke to him and said, open the cage. And he said, no. The Lord kept telling him, open the cage. And so finally he did. And guess who came out? It wasn't the man that had done him wrong. He came out himself. He thought he had the other man in the cage. But he was the man that was in the cage. That story illustrates so well the trap of unforgiveness. We have that other person in our cage thinking that we're tormenting them. We're walking around, poking in there with our stick, giving them a good jab now and then. But in reality, we're the person in the cage. We're hurting ourselves. We're destroying our peace with God. So we need to take seriously Jesus' warning here and always strive to forgive. Is it easy? No. I've been there. It's not always easy. We don't always want to forgive But if we want God to forgive us, we need to realize, we need to realize that if we refuse to forgive and then we ask God to forgive me, I'm asking God to do something for me that I refuse to do for someone else. And you can go and read the parable of the unforgiving servant who the king forgave this huge debt, and then he refused to forgive that tiny little debt that his fellow servant owed. So I think that that's a lesson that I need. I think it's a lesson that we all need because it's something we struggle with in our human, in in our flesh. So in conclusion... This morning, as we've looked at the Lord's Prayer, I hope that you've been challenged not to just let it flow off your lips in a meaningless way at the proper time, but to think of the significance behind these verses. Because it's a very meaningful prayer that helps us to remember who God is. It helps us to to remember what our relationship with God is, what it should be like. And it serves us, as we've looked at today, it serves to remind us of what our true needs are, our daily bread, our forgiveness, our need to forgive others. 
and our, our need for help, for deliverance in the time of testing and trial. You know, Jesus' words, I believe, were always very purposeful as he taught. And Jesus didn't give us this prayer just so we would have something to memorize as children and keep in our minds the rest of our lives and then rattle it off at, at, at the right time. But he gave it to us to teach us how to pray and how to recognize what our needs really are and to help us to recognize that it's our needs not my needs so let's pray this prayer in sincerity and recognition of of what it means for us as God's children God bless you maybe we have a song